Hello and welcome to A Composer's Journey. In this episode, we're going to be looking at one of my favourite tracks from one of my favourite film scores. And that film score is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And I really, it really is one of my favourites. And the track is Leaving Hogwarts. That's right at the end of the film where Harry is saying goodbye. He's, he's talking with Hagrid and he's saying, I now have a home, Hagrid. I have a family. And it almost always makes me cry. And last night I had this moment where I, I don't know what brought it. I was having a really boring Sunday, actually. And at around 5 p.m. or 6 p.m., I sat down and thought, you know what? I'm going to transcribe Leaving Hogwarts. I happened to have a snippet of the score. And so I started transcribing it. And I don't know what came over me, but I, I suddenly found myself in this state of flow where all I could, you know, I didn't leave my seat for hours. And I looked down at the clock and it was quarter to 11 at night. I had, I'd forgotten about dinner. I do this quite often when, <laughs> when I get too obsessed with something, I forget to eat. Um, and I'd just forgotten to eat. And so I had a really late dinner and consequently had a really bad night's sleep afterwards. But I was just so obsessed with transcribing this. In a moment, I'm going to tell you why I did that and some of the things I learned. But what I should say first is I'm about to announce a course on composing. And this is going to be one of the really big features of this course, I hope, is modeling, learning to model off other people's music, not steal, but model off other people's music. If you want to be, you know, one of the big things I want to do with this course is make sure that it answers your needs. I want to model this course around your needs. So next week, I will be emailing my list asking, what kind of composing course do you want? What kind of composing course do you want? So if you want to be a part of that survey and have a say in the composing course that I'm about to build, then make sure to get on that list because I'm emailing next week about this. So to join that list, you can go to insidethescore.com forward slash composers and look out for emails coming very soon about this course because you will have a say in what kind of shape the course takes. I'm really excited about that. Anyway, Back to John Williams. So I transcribed this whole thing, Leaving Hogwarts. I did it for two reasons. One reason was that I am building a new template. So you might know that I write music on Cubase. Not always, but quite often I write music on Cubase. And I quite like it because you can, um, you can make a virtual performance of your music. You can use virtual instruments to make a virtual performance of your music on Cubase. There are drawbacks to that too. Um, you know, of course, it's not as realistic and it's not as expressive as actually having the London Symphony Orchestra play it for you. But it's a pretty good substitute if you want to hear what your music sounds like with a real orchestra. Another drawback is you can cheat, you can you can cheat it and you can play around with it too much and you can make it very unrealistic. And then when you hear it played by real musicians, you'll say, well, I didn't realize it would sound like this because you were cheating. So, you know, there are there are pros and cons to using this kind of thing. But anyway, I was building a new template on Cubase, a new and when I say template, I mean, I wanted to build something that I can load up really quickly whenever I want to write orchestral music. I can load it up and it's ready for me to just play music right into it. I don't have to fiddle with any knobs. I don't have to fiddle with any settings. It's already there ready for me. And I thought, what better way than to play in a full piece of John Williams just to make sure that everything's balanced. All the, the strings are balanced with the woodwind. The woodwind are balanced with the brass and the percussion and everything. And so I transcribed Leaving Hogwarts and it helped me to configure my template. The second reason I did this was because you are learning 
from the master. And this is the main point of this podcast episode. When you either transcribe or really closely study a piece of music by another composer, you are learning from the master. Um, lots of people write to me saying, how do I learn orchestration? And they say they're reading Samuel Adler's book, which is a fantastic book on orchestration, or they're reading Rimsky-Korsakov's book, which I have to admit, I never managed to finish. Um, I, I, I couldn't pay attention for long enough. But uh, not, not that it's a bad book, you know, but I just... What I found in my experience is you can learn an awful lot from from learning from real scores that you love. You can learn an awful lot from looking at scores and saying, how have they done this? I love this. I want to emulate it. And that was it for me with John Williams last night. You know, this isn't theory. John Williams has produced the real thing. And the same if you're going to study a Mahler score or Stravinsky or Lily Boulanger or whoever. That's the real thing. It's no longer theory. This is the real world. These are real things that have worked in real music. So that's why I love studying real scores. And last night's experience really reaffirmed my belief that John Williams truly is a master of orchestration. Yes, of course, he has teams to help him because film deadlines are very tight. But apparently when his orchestrators receive his sketches, they're pretty much fully orchestrated already. John Williams really does know what he's doing. You know, he he does have the chops. He is, you know, he's a Juilliard grad and everything. And he he seriously does know what he's doing. And this score really is astonishing. And it did teach me a lot. And it's hard to put into words in a single podcast episode what it taught me. But this is the kind of thing I might even do in my composing course. I might take something like Leaving Hogwarts by John Williams and turn it into, you know, turn it into a video where I break it down in like 30 minutes or 45 minutes of depth rather than just a 10 minute podcast episode. So let me just show you, you know, a random snippet. The great thing about putting a virtual performance on Cubase is that I can press play at any moment. So yeah, there might be pops and glitches every now and again because I don't normally record a podcast while also running a symphony orchestra on my computer. So it's quite a lot of memory. But here's a couple of things I noticed. First, he really holds back on certain instruments except for using them in a climax. He holds back on using them until the climax. For example, the double basses and tuba rarely come in at all in this track and they rarely appear in their low bass register until the climax. Here is pretty much the first moment that the double basses really come in and the tuba really goes into its bass register. Here it is. Here it is. So he holds off on actually having the feet, the weight of the orchestra, right until the final moment. A lot of people would be tempted to have bass, you know, right the way through to, to underpin their harmony. But Williams just uses the cello and just uses the trombones for that and saves the tuba and double bass right for the end. Another thing is the trumpets. The trumpets don't appear in this at all until the final climax. And when they do, I'll play this trumpet line now. When they do come in, they appear very low by trumpet range standards. And so they're not even that loud when they appear, but then it rises up and up in a scale. So it gets louder and louder and more exciting until the climax. So here are the trumpets on their own. Uh, here they come. 
So that's, you know, exactly what I said. But in context, you see, this is the first time the trumpets have come. John Williams has held them back until this very moment, which is, you know, one of the most emotional moments in the film for me. I think what's happening on camera is... Is it zooms out and you see the train starts to move away and Hagrid's waving goodbye and oh, it just makes me want to cry. Um, but anyway, here it is. Again, he's held back using timpani or, or cymbals or things until that moment of climax. That's the only timpani we hear in the thing. It's quite a reserved track. By the way, someone else who does that with trumpets is Richard Wagner in Tristan und Isolde, very famous prelude from Tristan und Isolde, um, Tristan and Isolde. It's famously tense. There's tension. There's this kind of constant quasi-sexual tension as you think, ah, oh, it's going to arrive. It's getting to a climax. It's getting to a climax. And then the trumpets enter, and they only enter for five bars. I don't know if it's exactly five bars. It's been a while since I've looked at that piece. But it's something like five bars right at the very end. They enter with... And if you didn't know... You wouldn't know that that was the only time the trumpets entered, but it's Wagner as well, knowing just how much to hold back until finally he gives it away, just enough to make us think, oh my God. And then, um, sorry, I'm getting carried away, aren't I? But he, he knows just how much to hold back until this massive climax, but then gets rid of them. He doesn't just have it on full blast the whole time. It settles down again. Um, there's many more actually much more interesting stuff. I'm not going to be able to dissect it well over a podcast. As I say, this is the kind of thing I'd love to do in a proper video in my course in like a lot of depth. Um, just as another random example, I loved the way he used more, um, more sort of uh, harp bells, I would call them. Things like the celeste, the glockenspiel, the crotales, which are like orchestral bells, and the harp in this track. A lot of them are sort of in the background, but they add to this kind of je ne sais quoi. It's like knowing how to spice or herb your food or something, that masterful spicing or, or herbing of food is just makes those final touches or adding a little bit of acid to the final recipe just makes that something special. So right from the first chord, sorry about my violas, I haven't spent much time making them sound beautiful, but the harp is right in the background and yet it adds something. So here it is. So all, oops, all the harp is doing here is going, and then a bit later on. But if if you saw that on a score, you think oh, it's barely doing anything. What's the point? But it just adds something. So here it is with harp, and then here it is without harp. You see what I mean? And then the next chord, here it is with harp. You barely even notice it was there, but without harp. Isn't that extraordinary? And um, there's stuff like that all over. I love this moment in Celeste. So we get we get the family theme.
So if I play the Celeste on its own, it's just the most magical. It's just a brilliant moment of, it's, it's one of my favorite moments in the score, that little Celeste passage. Um, playing really weird intervals as well, you know, playing tritones and things. It's really strange, but here it is on its own. A lot of those are non-chord notes. They don't belong in like a conventional harmonic sense. They don't belong to the chord, but they add this gorgeous, they're adding this gorgeous color to the harmony and also a color to the orchestration because it's a Celeste. And it just blends in, you know, it's not sticking out like, look at me, but in blending in, it adds just magical color to the score. I'll play it with everything. I just love that. And uh, let's see. So what are the Crotales doing here? Oh, that's actually malad melodic. So I'm, I'm kind of winging it a bit here, as you can tell. Uh, not that. Okay, there's there's also final little flourishes where... where... Sorry, that was a hideous sound from the violin. Um, but if you listen to those, the things, the, the, the Celeste, the glockenspiel, the harp, right there, it... You know that? It's, it's, it's almost adding nothing, but it's like adding a squeeze of lime to your recipe. I don't know if you cook, but I've just, I'm starting to get more and more into it. I'm delighted to have finally found an obsession that isn't music in my life. Um, but you know, it's just like adding a squeeze of lime or just adding, you know, some pine nuts to the finished product. But it just adds that flavor that, that, that makes it something more special. Here it is, here's, so here's what they're doing. So here it is in full context. I'll play it with and then without. Sorry, I'll play a little bit back so that violin doesn't sound so ugly. All right, I, I'll have to admit it still sounded ugly. Um, <laughs> and without, you probably won't hear much difference, to be honest, because I haven't spent loads of time playing with the MIDI. Anyway. Just more bland. It's more bland. The percussion fades into the background, but without it, it's more bland. One more time with, well, sorry, with. Now without, oops, not from there, from here. The percussion really helps it to come to life. Uh, you know, there's probably so many more things I could say about this track, and I'm sure there's probably things in here that I'll, I'll be thinking all night, oh, I should have said this, I should have said this. That's why I'd really like to do something like this in my course, where we do some deep score breakdowns, where we just obsess over the orchestration details and the harmonic details. Oh, another, one last thing, one of my favorite bits of counterpoint. So um, right at the climax, we're getting this. Um, we, I, we've already played this once, but listen to it again. So, you know, you can hear everything going on, but one of my fi favorite bits in the strings is how the violins go. Yeah, 
Nobody. I'll I'll just play. I'll just solo the violin lines, just so you can hear exactly what I mean. Um, those last two notes. It's just. It doesn't need to be there. The score could exist without it, and it's not. You know, it's not a foreground feature. It's kind of background. And yet, it just had so much. Here it is one last time. Ah, just Now listen to that harmony in context. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, here it is. Sounds even better when the London Symphony Orchestra are doing it. And it's, it's one of those things that's subtle. And when you hear it, you think, oh, yes. What a, it's a G-sharp A, I think. And you just think, oh, yes, brilliant. Um, so here it is without that line. Do you hear how the score actually functions perfectly fine without that string line? The score functions perfectly fine without that string line. Listen again. I mean, this would be passable as a score, absolutely. You know, even by John Williams, the standards. But with the string line... And also those soaring strings at the end of this. I just love them. Here's here's the score without them. Um, that's that's it without them. And again, it's absolutely passable. A lot of people would would, would send that off and call it done. But here's Williams with uh, sorry about the the glitches. As I say, I don't normally record a podcast while um, while doing this. So, um, yep. Also, if the music audio was a little odd, um, I just realised I've left a plug in on for, for 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 headphones to correct for headphone measurements. So if the audio sounded a little weird spatially, that's why. <laughs> that's my mistake. I've just realised I've left the podcast. I've left this um, plug in on for the entire thing. So if you are listening on um, if you are listening on speakers, it might have sounded a bit odd. Apologies about that, but you know. Um, that's life. I'm really happy with this recording, so I'm not going to do the whole thing again. But yeah, if you want to see breakdowns of scores like that, scores like, I don't know, Gustav Mahler, or, you know, you will get the chance to choose for yourself which scores we break down. On top of that, we'll be covering the process of composing from coming up with creative ideas, developing those ideas and turning them into a finished piece of music then get on the list. It's insidethescore.com forward slash composers. I will be asking you what kind of course you want literally next week um, in the beginning of February. So make sure you're on that list if you want to be the first to hear about that and if you want to join that course. I'm really excited about this. So I hope you are too. And I've loved sharing this John Williams with you. I can share it in a lot more depth um, at a later date, I hope. So anyway, thank you for listening and see you next time.